and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 80. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello! Today we'll be discussing the 14th episode of season 4, Twice Shy. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Twice Shy. After Naranti and Rigel secure maps of tormented space, Gianna rescues a slave girl from the traitors. Her good deed doesn't go unpunished as everyone at first begins acting more like themselves than suddenly nothing at all like themselves. They have to kill the alien trying to kill them before they entirely give up on life. Another mind-frelling alien comes aboard, and it's a trope that this crew is very aware that they have done before. In fact, it's two tropes we've seen before. We have uh, an alien altering their state of mind, which has actually happened a lot. But this episode, uh, John references Crackers Don't Matter, where Trautex in season two made everybody uh, lose their inhibitions. And you also have the trope of the unknown shapeshifter, which we saw in Beware of Dog and also in season two, which Rigel references when he reminds everyone when Shiana wants to bring the slave girl aboard that she was also the one who brought the Vork from that episode aboard. And only this time they mistake the bad guy for the good guy because our slave trading girl is actually the bad guy. We're just going to go ahead and say that up front. Yeah. I mean, I felt like the Vork reference was a little unfair since the Vork technically saved them all. I was like... I know, right? (laughs) And the Vork was so cute. Vork was so cute. Yeah. I think I like this episode being on the tail of the that trilogy of kind of really Farscape kind of episodes, you know, where you have finally the explanation of wormholes, you have John going home twice, you know, and then we just have this, you know, Monster of the Week episode. It, it felt really mm-hmm. refreshing. And to be honest, I was kind of interested in how it was going to go because this is why I like Farscape doing Monster of the Week episodes because everybody revealed their gooey underbellies and then <laughs> had to deal with what happens when they don't have those, you know? Yeah. It's one in the very long line of classic Monster of the Week episodes. Because I remember really liking Crackers Don't Matter and really liking Beware of Dog. And we had a Shrink Therefore I Am this season that we both liked. And the Prefect Murder was pretty decent. And yes, they don't all work out. Like, Kubai Clan was a stinker. But this one is kind of in that middling level of just kind of solid, you know? Mm-hmm. And it does have an emotional conversation, as Farscape often does with these with these ones, where... Uh, John and Aaron are working stuff out between them and they're affected by these mind alterations which reveal things about how they're dealing with this because it's like that gooey underbelly as you said so we get some progress on their relationship as well yeah and actually the episode starts with everybody in the hangar Scorpius demands to know why the traitors are still here and Pilot is like uh, because they're asking for a lot of money, <laughs> which, which we probably don't have a lot of. <laughs> and so we we cut to the hangar where Darga, Chiana, John, and Aaron are all hanging out, and Aaron is freezing John out, you know, and this is yeah. what he gets. I said this way back, you know, after John Quixote, that there are only so many times that he can reject her before she's just going to get really mad and take it as a rejection, you know? Yeah, and stop trying. 
And the other part of that is she, remember from last episode, has found out about the drugs. Mm -hmm. And so she is like royally pissed off about that as well, as she should be. Yeah. You know? And I mean, that's what I mean. Like, I think that the drugs are kind of the final straw for her because here she's been hitting all of the things that he wants. You know, she's been trying. She's been emotionally open. She's been willing to have conversations. And he has been using drugs to make sure that he doesn't give in to any of that. So yeah. inside the ship, Naranti and Rigel are bargaining. And I think it's interesting here that they are the ones allowed to do it. And also that mm -hmm. Naranti is taking point on it. And we've seen Rigel take point on negotiations in the past and do a good job with them. And of course, here he's the second. Yeah, it was interesting. It reminded me a lot of Naranti and Lava. You know, mm -hmm. where she's like, she does know a little bit more about this part of space than the rest of them do, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so Rigel is kind of taking a backseat, but he also doesn't seem that mad when they make a deal that isn't awesome for the crew. <laughs> like they're going, they're negotiating on 10 and Naranti says five and they end up on seven, which still isn't great for the crew, but Naranti is kind of, or but Rigel is like totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. And even when he comes out of the of the pod, though, and he says to Scorpius, who's there, it went better than expected. And we find out a little bit later why that he is so confident in that, because Rigel is a scumbag at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Rigel, love you, dude. But so yeah. then we get a resolution because John at this point doesn't like that Aaron is mad at him. And he mm -hmm. keeps being like, he keeps he's like that little boy that's like pushed the girl and shoved the girl and finally she's like fine I'm done and now he's like but no I want you back <laughs> yeah and boys out there or that's just or anybody really girls out there too pushing someone around is not a way to show them that you like them yeah <laughs> like I, I definitely think that that's a stereotype that mothers really and fathers yeah need yeah. to squash in the playground like the way you show a girl you like her is not by pulling her hair do not do that yeah, and vice versa for boys, too, you know, or for girls, too. So anyway, little PSA tangent right there. So yeah, so they're hanging around in the hangar, and then the traders come down with one last thing. They say, hey, we have a slave girl we want to sell you, too. We had a lot of fun with her with the implication that they've all been raping her, and everyone to this point, they've been kind of in this standoff with the guards, other guards of the traitorship, but... Chiana, when she sees that and sees how they're treating her and the implication that she was raped, like flies off the handle, draws her weapon, which everyone else means they're going to defend Chiana and draw their weapon too. So now we have a Mexican standoff and Chiana wants to take the girl away from them and, mm -hmm. and save her from them. And actually, she ends up saying, either we buy her or I'm going to shoot her. And I'm sure if they shoot her, then they'd have to pay for her anyway. So eventually... Dargo and John force Rigel to pay for the slave girl. Yeah, because Rigel has the money. Yeah. Now Chiana has a slave girl that, mm -hmm. well, has rescued a slave girl. Yeah. And you got to really feel for Chiana, too, because mm -hmm. she makes a comment to Dargo in that scene of, like, don't you remember what it's like to be a prisoner? And that's true for the rest of it. Chiana was never a prisoner, but she has been that exploited young person, mm -hmm. you know? she She has been used for sex. I mean, she does put herself out there as one of her survival skills. But at the same time, you got to wonder how many times the, that those situations have crossed the border and Shiana has been raped. 
and even we talked about this in Kraken Kicks, that that's the implication of something like that happening to her when she was away from Moya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chiana has been the character that typically feels for the girls like Talika because that is who Chiana often sees herself as. Yeah. You know? She's very aware of the consequences that have resulted of her actions. So mm-hmm. now Chiana takes Talika off to her quarters where she dresses her in like something that like, again, <laughs> we've never seen Chiana wear, which is so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the anime thing of like, everybody always wears the sa- exact same clothes. It's so funny. Yeah. And John also follows Aaron out because he wants to know why she's mad at him. And we should also mention at this point that Talika, who we've already spoiled is is our creature of the week, has, in the scuffle of all the guns being drawn and being pulled by different people, touched many people. And that's important. And so she has, things might be starting to happen as we get into this first quote here, where Aaron and John are in command, having a fight. There's nothing to say. Oh, hell there's not. You hit me. You lied to me. Hey, you lied to me. You said nothing was bothering you. Okay, so I did not tell you about the poppers. You did not tell me about the babies. That mean I get to hit you now? I would not advise that. Oh, you do not scare me, Missy. Okay. You scare me a little. You want the truth? I was taking that crap from Naranti. forget you what you got in man it's kind of romantic I'm just crazy about you so it's my fault no what you should have been stronger oh god Aaron please get, honey give me a break I'm weak I'm human. I'm a guy. What is the matter? Aaron, I'm fine. We're going to be fine. No. Why not? Aaron, do not walk away. As much as I love it when you walk away, Aaron! Okay, first of all, John is not romantic. <laughs> <laughs> And always is just like, really? Classic argument, also classic wrong argument. It is not romantic that you are taking drugs just be- to sh- to reject her when, yeah. And Aaron's delivery of like, so it's my fault. It's just like, yeah, that's exactly the right response. It is not her fault. The other part I really love about that little tidbit before we get into the relationship stuff is is when he says, I'm not afraid of you. And then Aaron just levels this look at him. And he's like, okay, I'm a little afraid of you. I just love that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that when I was initially watching this, I'm like, ooh, hitting is like a little bit much. Like hitting is a big response to this. Oh, yeah. And at the same time, when you realize later that both of them are acting this way because Talika has released kind of their biggest feelings and their strengths is kind of what she initially gets at is. Yeah, and they're exaggerated. Yeah, they're hyper exaggerated. And so John's hyper exaggerated strength is his love for Aaron which we've seen time Mm -hmm. and time again has been something that saved him and Aaron's is her peacekeeper training and her her soldierness kind of her her strength you know Mm -hmm. which is what she gets at when she says to him you should have been stronger you know yeah 
her strength and her control over her emotions. I would also argue that in addition to his love for Aaron, it's also John's hope. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that comes in. He has hope that the relationship will be fine in the end in this conversation. And it's like, oh, it's going to be fine. And he's grinning and he's he's jokey about it. And he's just very upbeat and positive about how this whole situation, both with him and Aaron and basically everything is going to turn out. It's going to be all okay. Yeah. He's definitely like after they finish this conversation, he's like, we're going to be fine. And she's like walking <laughs> away really mad. And yeah. I think though that even though this is hyper kind of on both sides, but both with her hitting him and Mm -hmm. him not acknowledging what a rejection that must feel like to her that he's been taking drugs to reject her, you know, or to forget her, according to Naranti. At the same time, it gets kind of at this kernel that we saw at the very end of Terra Firma when she's like talking to Naranti and she kind of is realizing the extremes that John has gone to to reject her and that mm-hmm. she's been trying. And I've I've said time and time again over the past few episodes that this is not a comfortable position for Aaron to be the one no. trying and to be the one reaching out and to be the one doing all the things. You know, she's been used to being pursued. She's been used to John being the one to to reach out. And then all of a sudden now she's faced with this reality that this guy that she thought was trying with her, that they were both Mm -hmm. trying to get over this, wasn't trying at all. In fact, was doing the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very actively preventing himself from trying. Mm -hmm. Because that's his instinct. So yeah, so that's that first conversation. And then Aaron goes from here to where Gianna is in her quarters with Talika. And so she's dressed her in a new clothes so that they're, they're nice clothes. They have that big wide collar that seems to be a fashion trend in, in Farscape. And Gianna is being very taken with Talika and her beauty. And she even, I feel like she does like a classic male dialogue here mm-hmm. where she's like, oh, because Talika's like, I'm pretty. And and, and Shanna's like, oh, a girl like you shouldn't have to ask if she's pretty or not. I don't know. It sounded like something a male <laughs> would say. Yeah. But that said, Gianna is being affected too. And... She is, you know, saying she's sexy, trying to explain sexy, being very close, and then ultimately kissing Talika, who at this point is definitely into it, even though it's very tentative. Chiana does realize that she's crossing a line a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit before this, but she still kisses her anyway, and that's when Aaron comes in. And we find out that Chiana is also being affected by what's going on. Here's the conversation between her and Aaron. Okay, what is your problem? That the only reason why you brought her aboard so you can make her your toy now. Uh, we were just talking. Girl stuff. Oh, come on. I get feisty. I'm not like you. You don't need it. I do. It's not a crime. This is excessive, even for you, Tiana. Well, if you're not into it, I can always ask Crichton. You mind? Do what you want. Tiana seems to be, like, putting the moves on Aaron, at the same time threatening to put the moves on John, and she's like, I'm, you know... (laughs) Feeling feisty, you know? So she wants sex all the time. And sexual quality is is Gianna's strength that is, or quality that's really being brought out here. 
and had a question about this. So this was 2003. Mm-hmm. I think we had Buffy, uh, the Buffy episode where Willow and Tara Christ on screen for the first time like a year or so earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is another on-screen women-to-women kiss. Mm-hmm. But because Talika is technically the bad guy, I don't know. Does this count as the evil lesbians trope? Yes. Okay. Yeah, hands Just down. checking. Because Talika <laughs> doesn't put the moves on anybody else, you know? Yeah. And technically, yeah. even when she's kind of exploiting, because later she, Talika goes and talks to John and kind of exploits his love for Aaron and his hope that things are going to work out, you know, where he's like, oh, come on in, come on in, have some chocolate, you know, and and she keeps smiling at him and kind of like hyping him up, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, she doesn't put the moves on him. And even right. though that, even though if she had, it would have just been the evil bisexual trope, which is another trope that you know yes. men and women get to <laughs> benefit from in terms of yeah. like men and women get to play the evil bisexual yeah i don't know i uh, evil lesbian and i think we just need to yeah. leave it at that because i don't super have any i i wish i could kind of summon up angry feelings about it but i'm also just kind of like evil lesbian right resigned here it is yeah, I mean, I definitely think it falls into that category as well, especially since we haven't had like a Chiana have a lover in a long mm-hmm. time. I mean, she was with Dargo for season two that fell apart, but she hasn't really, you know, had anyone else really since then. And this is the first time and it turns out that, oh, no, she's trying to kill them all. Yeah, I mean, and let's point out that even though Buffy did, <laughs> even though Buffy did willow and tara and then proceeded to do dead lesbian trope it also did evil also lesbian a yeah I know. also a winner <laughs> it also did evil lesbian first with mm-hmm. uh with faith and buffy so mm-hmm. you know yeah like yeah as as much as i love buffy i think that the fact that you can point to almost every single problematic trope <laughs> that there is and be like buffy at one point in time did this <laughs> yeah for sure for sure so, um, as you've referenced, Talika starts going around and talking to other members of the crew. She talks to John. John ends up on command where where Dargo is uh, looking at the maps. And then Rigel confesses what he's that he's basically made counterfeit currency by adding zeros to the Krindars they were using to pay the traders. And then Dargo gets super pissed because, as we all know, Dargo's <laughs> hyper-exaggerated uh, trait is going to be anger. Mm-hmm. And Rigel cackling with glee because his is greed. Mm-hmm. And John, already at this point, this is where I really felt I, I could tell. I mean, you can kind of tell in the previous one because it's like, John, you're doing this 180 on Aaron. But in this scene where he's like completely calm, playing very chill... It's not quite his skater dude thing that he did in uh, Clockwork Nabari, but it's kind of getting in that end of the spectrum when he gets between Rigel and Dargo. And meanwhile, Norianti and Sokozu, who were not infected, are watching this from the sidelines going like, oh my God, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are actually caught on to it first. Actually, I like that it was Noranti first because Chiana mm-hmm. kind of really only gets it after they've all been done the second time. And Naranti yeah. goes to Sokozu and Scorpius, which is an interesting choice. Because Sokozu later comes to Scorpius and is like, oh, Naranti thinks the crew is acting weird. And Scorpius is like, hmm. And then Scorpius goes to John. So it's this weird game of telephone in terms of who's telling who that the crew is not act- not acting normal. <laughs> but it actually yeah. 100% makes sense to me that Naranti would confide in Sokozu. 
because yeah. Sokozu, first of all, seems to be the only one that hasn't been affected. And additionally, is also her science buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though Sukozu <laughs> in what, the natural election episode with the plant was like, oh my God, you're so crazy. <laughs> but yeah, and Sukozu wasn't wasn't present in the maintenance bay for the traders. Mm-hmm. Scorpius had come up to see, so he is actually infected too, though I think we really learned that a little bit later. So they go looking for Talika because John is actually willing to listen and say, okay, let's go see if this is really a thing or not. And he and Aaron corner her in the tier three maintenance bay. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scream and they got knocked out. And then we see a giant spider who is Talika's other form, her shape-shifting form, like sucking energy out of their heads. And that's where we have our first a commercial break, I think. And it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up and everything, their personality changes have gone in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And this personality change is the one that Chiana figures out. Yeah. So at this point, Talika has also managed to corner Rigel, Dargo, and Chiana. And mm-hmm. they're now everybody is up on command. And Aaron is really freaking out. She's essentially, because everybody else is kind of wiped. They're all laying down on the consoles. And John is like, oh, we should just give up. And Dargo's really mellow. And then Aaron goes, is like, losing it and she goes Mm -hmm. you can't be useless she keeps screaming at john you can't be useless and that's kind of what pings chiana i don't understand why she's doing this i actually felt sorry for her but she's going to kill us all we have to do something just just give me a minute will you i feel like crap whatever she did took the wind out of my sails listen we won't have much time she could be anywhere and we have to find her damn woman would you give it a rest no no please don't be useless don't be Useless. John. Oh, hell, she got you too. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not exactly sure how. She must have snuck up from behind us. I don't feel so right. Neither do I. So weak. No, we can't be weak. We have to pull ourselves together and we have to fight back. With what? She kicked our asses. Just give it up. No, we can't. We can't. What? What's with Aaron? We just have to talk to Talika, find out why she attacked us, Pilot. Do you know where she is? The DRDs are searching, but no luck so far. She can probably turn invisible. We're never going to find her. Additionally, the trading vessel has changed course and is now heading toward Moya. We cannot establish communication. Well, their intentions could be hostile. Of course, they're hostile. Rigel screwed them. They're coming back to screw us. And let the traitors come. We'll we'll give them everything they want. All the currency we have, it's only brought us conflict anyway. Okay, something very, very weird is going on. Aaron is falling apart. Rigel is is not greedy at all. And, And you're giving up. And you're not even angry. Well, I have no reason to be angry. I believe with dialogue and compromise. There is a reason to be angry. I really don't see how that is going to help. <laughs> and she wallops him in the face this time. <laughs> and then she proceeds to beat on him. She like kicks him in the nuts and smacks him in the knee. <laughs> and then Dargo's like, I really should be angry at this point. <laughs> And then Shiana's like, why am, I, why am I not affected? But then she figures out that it's her sex drive affected because she makes 
Dargo uh, kiss her and grab her breasts. And she's like, there's no tingle. I've lost my sex drive, which I think is interesting in the of everybody else. Because everyone else's loss of their primary trait, they don't notice it mm-hmm. if the way that she does. It's like their primary brain function and of like how they think about everything is distorted mm-hmm. by their loss of their trait. Whereas because it's her sex drive, which is much more of a physical brain chemistry thing rather than a intellectual one she's still able to be the critical thinker amongst the group i think it yeah that makes sense i think it's also just if you look at what each of these functions do for everybody because technically dargo is still thinking very logically he's still like okay well maybe they're coming back and then we can figure this out like he's still very logical it's it's like John, who's kind of lost his hope. He's lost his ability to think that it's all going to work out. So now he's kind of, I'm going to roll over. It feels very, look at the princess episode two, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to roll over and give in. And Aaron, who really functions on her strength and kind of that, like that mentality of we're going to get through everything, you know, I can do this. And her control mm-hmm. and her self-control. And her self-control. And then Rigel, who's kind of like, passive i think when he's not thinking about how he's going to screw people over he's just kind of like (laughs) whatever i don't care about anything (laughs) yeah that's yeah it is just yeah it just always struck me as as kind of neat that Gianna's the one who figures it out because she's not usually the one who necessarily figures things out you know Mm -hmm. that's usually john or or aaron or dargo's role i don't know i just kind of like that yeah so now that they've figured out what's going on they have to f- figure out how to hunt down Talika. They send out a docking web eventually for the trading ship because it's floating aimlessly. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. So they send out a docking web and now the trading ship is on board. One of the traders stumbles out the door and falls down dead. Mm-hmm. And he's got these little pustules all over his face. And you saw this in the we saw this in the opening scenes when the, the negotiations are happening at the very beginning, that their faces are like pockmarked and and there's these little boils and things all over their, their skin. And at first you're like, Oh, they're just that's what these aliens look like. Mm-hmm. But no, it turns out that that's the disease caused by uh, Talika and her her mm-hmm. sucking the brain energy out of them, and because when they woke up from being attacked by her, was the actual spider creature. John has pustules, and Aaron has a different kind of pustule, and Gianna has like blue veins showing up. So they all are exhibiting these same symptoms that you see on the trader vessel, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh my god, we are going to die. That's basically the conclusion they come to there. Yeah. So Talika has gone after Sokozu. Yeah, she went after Sokozu, I think, about the same time that she took out Dargo, Rigel, and Shiana. Mm -hmm. Because Sokozu came upon her, and then she chased her. Yeah. For some reason, Sokozu is the only one that even when she's down, Sokozu doesn't get her brain eaten. She gets her Mm -hmm. limbs ripped off. I guess (laughs) Talika gets really mad that she can't suck out Sokozu's brain injury, her brain energy. So she rips off her arm and her leg and when they come upon her scorpius, scorpius and Narantia. Like, yeah when scorpius and Naranti come upon her scorpius is ready to immediately go kill talika and Naranti's like no first you have to help suppose like Naranti is great yeah. in this episode i wish we had she more is. of her 
<laughs> she really is. Scorpius is really upset and angry about uh, Sokozu being hurt. Like when he hears her scream, he's like the shot goes to him and he's the one who turns and immediately goes and tries to find her. Mm-hmm. So you can really see that development of the relationship between him and Sokozu kind of throughout this episode too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and it's definitely a progression kind of from we're allies to I'll blow up my ship with your ship <laughs> to <laughs> now Scorpius really treating her like a lover. You know, like this is yeah. definitely, a, you know, more than an ally ship. Yeah. So Scorpius and Arati are helping Sokozu. Everyone else is going to look at what happened to the people on the ship, the traitors. And they they go up there and they see that there's a comms message. Everyone's dead. And there's a comms message from a diagnosian who basically says to them, Bay, based on your symptoms, it's this, uh, what's it, Wexelian? Mm-hmm. Wallaxian arachnid. And she's going to, you know, exaggerate traits, basically all the things we've been talking about. And then she takes your energy, neural energy, and makes a little orb out of it. And that's what's going to feed her. She's going to eat it when it matures. I don't know. She's saving it to eat. Anyway, so, and the solution is you go find these orbs and destroy them and do something and the neural energy goes back into the correct bodies. That's, we all happens, ends up at the resolution off screen, but it gives you a nice MacGuffin of, okay, they have a new task. They need to go find these orbs on a really <laughs> big ship. Uh, I want to play a little bit of pilot reporting how the search is going for Talika, who is being very difficult to track down. DRDs last saw Talika in the neural cluster, but they're unable to locate her nest of energy orbs. So we're screwed. Would you stop talking like that? Well, we can't be like this. We have, we have to focus. All right, I say we team up. We start in the neural cluster and we search every tier ourselves. And we'll either find the orbs or we'll find the shock that took him. Or perhaps we could persuade Talika to return the energy orbs. Let's persuade her with a pulse rifle. Come on. Whoa! Hang on a second. I'm just dizzy. You know what the worst part of this is? You and me. We never could get it together. No, we never will. Don't you ever talk like that. Come on. Yeah, so we kind of get at the end there, like the exact opposite conversation that she and John had at the very beginning when they were first infected. Mm-hmm. Like right after she hit him and they were arguing and we in that first clip we played. And it's like, instead of Aaron being like, you know, this is not going to work out and John being super happy and hyper about, oh, it's going to be fine. Everything's great. You have Aaron being the one, don't talk like that. And John being the one, we can, this is never going to work. Never, never going to get together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting kind of inversion. And also it's, it, it's really interesting to me that Aaron's strength was kind of her, her strength, you know, <laughs> that Aaron's, <laughs> that Aaron's strength was kind of, her ability to not fall apart under pressure, her ability to soldier yeah. on. Like Scorpius is actually the one that points it out earlier in the episode where 
um, Sokozu's kind of pointing out all how everybody has changed. And she's like, everybody's acting really weird, except for Aaron. She's acting colder. And Scorpius is like, no, she's not acting colder. She's acting more like the perfect soldier, you know, yeah. the perfect peacekeeper. Like, he's the only one that really pings on to that. And it's interesting to me that three seasons out, three, you know, years out from the peacekeepers, that she's still, that's her strength, that mm-hmm. that's who she is in her core. Yeah, and that's what she falls back on. Because if you think about their lives in the Uncharted Territories and now in Tormented Space, it's still a very chaotic, stressful existence. Mm-hmm. And her training is what she falls back on. Yes, she's grown as her emotionally as a person. She's able to be friends with Dargo and Chiana and her relationship with John. But at the same time, you know, her values as a peacekeeper didn't go away. We've seen that repeatedly, especially since three in season three, when they went back to the command carrier and she's like, Mm -hmm. we have to save these people, all the soldiers who are aboard the, uh, the command carrier. And so, yeah, that's something that just doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. And so here when it's missing, it's really interesting kind of how they're both reacting that it's interesting that if they were not exactly who they are, their relationship would never work. You know, mm-hmm. well, and Aaron wouldn't have survived at all on Moya, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But she did. And so they think that the the ship starts up. They think Talika's on it. Everybody except for John who can't make it out, which is another big sign that this is not the Aaron we know because Dargo's like, everybody get on the ship so we can go find or everybody get on Lola so we can go find Talika. And John tells Aaron, I can't make it. I can't make it. And then she leaves him. Right, which as we've discussed very extensively in John Quixote, is a sign that Aaron is not acting like Aaron, because she does not leave people behind. But she does this time. John is very weak and physically, he's very fatigued. And I think everyone's starting to feel the fatigue, which is like the extended stage of the sickness brought on by having their energy harvested. They go on Lola Mm -hmm. to the ship, and that's where they find out that it was automated and Talika is not on the ship. Mm-hmm. And then they are sitting out there. And basically this whole little point plot point was to serve to split the crew up. So it's just John and Sokozu. And Scorpius has now been knocked out because his scare inside was coming out. And Norianti was afraid that Scorpius would hurt herself and Sokozu. And so Noranti is actually the one that comes up with a plan because John, again, like we said, is hopeless, which means he's not coming up with any plans. And this is why I love Noranti in this episode. I wish we had a lot more of her because she comes up to John and she's like, hey, so what if we trap Talika? And he's like, Mm -hmm. how are we going to do that? And she's like, well, she hasn't harvested Scorpius yet because he's knocked out. And I think she can't sense him when he's unconscious. So... We're going to wake him up and then she's going to harvest him and then she'll lead us to where she's hiding these egg things. Right. Because as John points out in his hopeless state, boy, is a big ship. They can't possibly search it all. Yeah. Quickly enough. And it actually works. And again, we get to see Scorpius kind of being romantic. I'm going to call it romantic <laughs> towards Sokozu, possessive. He wakes up. And he's still wore his Scarin personality side. I don't know if that's an accurate way of saying it. The impulses of himself that come from his Scarin heritage, which he usually keeps under tight wraps, that is what has been um, exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And so that he's losing control of that. And so he like wakes up and grabs Sokozu by the throat and is like a little bit out of it. And she's talking him down. You know, ultimately she says like we're allies, mm-hmm. and he's like okay. From there he gets harvested. 
And Sokozu is actually the one who is trailing Talika in her either normal or, or arachnid form, or normal, her humanoid or arachnid form. It's not clear which. And John, meanwhile, is grabbing a really, really big gun from Aaron's quarters. I think it's Aaron's quarters. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going in there, too. And he ends up being the distraction. Mm-hmm. He ends up being the one to talk uh, play to that strength of his of getting Talika's attention and saying, "Hey, I'm sick of fighting. Why are you doing this kind of mm-hmm. evil villain speech thing?" Except Talika's like, "I don't feel remorse because you're food and I'm hungry." You know, it's it's kind of nice that there's actually no evil villain speech. It's just like law of the jungle going on right here. Yeah. So eventually, he actually ends up getting the gun in her mouth after being really inefficient at shooting at her. <laughs> the gun goes in her mouth. And then she explodes and then there's spider all over the place. And the episode actually ends on this hilarious moment where Rigel and Dargo are with Naranti in the kitchen and they're both commenting (laughs) that this is the best spider soup they've ever eaten. Is it just me or is that kind of really gross? (laughs) I think it's the most Naranti thing that's happened this entire episode. It is entirely a Naranti thing to do. Like, I do not doubt that, but I was still a little grossed out that they're eating Talika. Uh, in her spider form. And I'm just like, oh, you are talking to her. Law of the jungle. Law know, of the jungle. But that, it just uh, <laughs> it, it, it hits that cannibalism squick that I have. So <laughs> even though it's technically not cannibalism, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so then we get a conversation. We get two conversations that I want to play. There's one between Sokozu and Scorpius, which is... Interesting, given how possessive he was of her. What is worse? Having us see that you are half Scarran, or remembering it yourself? I know what I am, Sakosu. This interlude was simply a fortuitous though troubling reminder. If you want my help, The price is inclusion and honesty. I think it's interesting that he uses the word fortuitous there because I think he means fortuitous for Sokosu. I was thinking he meant fortuitous for himself. Oh, that like he was able... So it's a he always knows who he is, mm-hmm. but this was a reminder that really, you know, brought it back to the forefront of his mind that mm. he is this dual... He has this. He has these two heritages, heritages that he feels are at war within himself. Mm. His peacekeeper side and his Scarin side, just because he was tortured as a child by the Scarins who basically had him created, mm-hmm. and then you know he's trying to prevent the Scarin overtaking the world or the galaxy, mm-hmm. and you know that's something he's very. And we've seen it before, his uncomfortableness with his dual nature. Yeah. Uh, do you remember way back in season two, the season finale episodes, Liars, Guns, and Money, when he talks to Jothi mm-hmm. about his dual nature? And it feels, we've talked about it being like projecting, mm-hmm. like Scorpius be projecting his own discomfort with his duality onto Jothi mm-hmm. when he's talking to him about it. Or even when he fights with Crace at the um, at the end of at the beginning of season two, where he's kind of like, "Why do you make me reveal myself? You know, for being the stronger oh, yeah. person that I am, kind of thing." Where he does yeah. not really like his scare inside at all. I mean, and we've discussed that at length. But I think what I meant here was that Sokozu has only seen him 
as Scorpius the intellect. And that's what turns Mm -hmm. her on, you know? And so even when Naranti is like, hey, listen, he's not himself. We need to knock him out. So Kozu's like, no, I know him. I know him. And I think for me, what he's getting at here is like, no, you don't really know me. Like, mm-hmm. you see me as this cold, calculating, like, in-control guy, when at my heart, that is what I'm fight. like, I'm constantly fighting my scare inside. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. I really like that interpretation a lot. So we get another conversation that I want to play, and this one is a lot more satisfying and also a lot more creepy, because, and it's between John and Aaron. So Aaron is sitting on the hallway holding one of the drug, locked drug things, and John walks up. Do you have any idea what you've done? You won the coin toss. But we lost, didn't we? Aaron, it's over. So your mind is now so full of this trend that you can't even see straight. Is that it? Move on, Aaron. You see, I did everything. Everything I could to keep us together. I did exactly what you told me to do, and the whole time you have been cheating. Yeah, I'm a coward. Move on, it's over. No, I'm going to tell you how this is going to go from now. You are going to stop sniffing this. Shut up! Don't you tell me to Pilot, my comms are a bit buggy. Can you test the system, please? Yes, Commander. But that will take all comms offline for about 30 microns. I thought so. That'll be fine. Thank you. Shut up and listen to me. Scorpius is here looking for the key to what is inside my head. The neural chips, Aurora chair, threatening Earth. None of it works because he does not understand me. Stop using him as a... Please! You're the key. My Achilles. You. If you figure this out, the world and all that's in it is nothing. He will use you and the baby, and I will not be able to stop him. So you think he's been using the comms? Look what it's done to you. You're completely paranoid. Pilot, are we having a problem with the comms? I was just checking them. Some slight irregularities, but they appear to be functioning normally. So it's over. It's over. There's nothing more between us. Nothing. So yeah, it's a nice, long, juicy, juicy conversation between Aaron and John. And it's just like, ah. Oh. And at the end there, what you can't hear from the from the audio when Aaron has cottoned on to like Scorpius, oh my God, John is not actually paranoid. Scorpius really is out to get him. There's this look on her face and then she's, you know, she's playing along and the two of them start smiling to each other. And at the end of the episode, they actually kiss because they are now finally on the same page about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is really good because number one, Scorpy, way to give away your hand, <laughs> you know. And also, I, this kind of reminded me of a question we had way back in Natural Election, which is why are they letting Scorpius listen to like the whole wormhole thing at the very beginning? Mm-hmm. And so it makes me wonder if he was just listening on their comms, like if he was doing whatever yeah. he was doing here, like yeah. to listen to them. And Farscape comms have always been like a thing. It's like, 
do they always broadcast that the whole group you know can you have one-on-one -on -one with somebody and i know from some interviews i've seen and heard is like everyone treats the car comms as if they of the actors everyone treats the comms as if they work differently like some of them will tap some of them just turn their head and speak and so it's never clear how they're activated or anything like that <laughs> and so it's kind of one of those mysterious things is like so is scorpius just listening on the comms the whole time is he like bugging john is there's some other technological thing that pilot can't prevent that he's doing and i think that's one of those questions that we never get answered but it's kind of uh somehow Scorpius is monitoring John and all the interactions of the crew looking for advantages and stuff he can use as leverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I really like also here how quickly Aaron cottons on, how as soon as Scorpius reveals, you know, that he is listening on the comms, uh, she's immediately like, okay, so we're over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's also a good reminder for the audience how dangerous Scorpius is because mm -hmm. John has never fully trusted him. The crew, they've never really fully trusted him. But I think the audience has a different relationship to Scorpius than the crew does uh, because we see him in all the other moments, right? We we mm -hmm. see him in season three on this command carrier with Bracca being, you know, the evil scientist guy. But, you know, there's still that sympathy for him that develops with the audience also because we understand his backstory. Um, mm -hmm. And John, this John has not seen it. It's only been the clone John from the neural chip that saw it who rightly did not forgive Scorpius for all his trespasses against John because, mm -hmm. you know, he tortured the guy. But, you know, we actually have that backstory on Scorpius that the crew does not. Mm -hmm. And and I think because we see him with Sakosa, we see him being helpful, we see the humor that comes from Harvey, which I think colors things. So this is a really good reminder that, no, Scorpius is still the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Very, very evil. And like I've said, this goes back to my whole, they should have just shot Scorpius as soon as he showed up. <laughs> right, right. But so. yeah, it, I, and it also, I think that as a viewer, it's finally, finally really just satisfying that we've had 14 episodes, 14 episodes <laughs> of John and Aaron not being on the same page of, you know, the push and pull being Aaron pulling and John letting go of the rope, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so this is a thought I had. And I I know, obviously, it's the 14th episode. They're kind of mid-season. They're making their turn for the end game. And from a writing perspective, you do want to have this uncertainty push-pull. It makes the story interesting between John and Aaron. Are they going to get back together or not? But from a, like, in-world perspective, like, do you think John should have, like, paused the comms earlier and told Aaron that Scorpius was onto him? Do you think she would have been receptive to that? Is this John... As from a Watsonian perspective, being like, you know, I'm going to make some bad decisions and then eventually figure out how to resolve it. I think that given that Aaron is his weakness, I think it's really short-sighted of him to push her away at all. I think that as soon as he realized in John Quixote, you are my weakness, Aaron, I think his reaction should have been, let me put my calm in my room and let's go talk in a neural cluster somewhere where Scorpius can't hear us. And let me explain to you, you are my weakness. I do not want Scorpius to know that. And mm -hmm. let's figure out a way of either proving that he's not out to get me or, you know, figuring out what his end game is. Cause he's not just here for, <laughs> he's not just here for like John Crichton's well-being. You right. Know? Even though that's what he purports to say at the beginning is that his, is his reason yeah because what if she, she'd left what if yeah. she'd been like okay fine you're taking laka i'm out 
I'm yeah, out. For sure. You know? And then somebody else could have gotten their hands on her. Or what if she said, okay, fine, I'm done, and then started a relationship with somebody else? I mean, not that that would have happened, given how long it took her to get in a relationship with John, but... yeah. You know? Yeah. And I do think that like in promises and the conversation at the end of that episode when John is like, you don't, I don't trust you with my heart. I think that is, that was a true and honest conversation right there where, mm-hmm. where it was before he thought he had to deceive her about how much, how he felt about her. Like mm-hmm. that was like the relationship was in a difficult position because she left because she hid the pregnancy from him. And that really was an honest conversation. But I think you're right when he's discovers that in, in John Quixote. And that was that whole, like the game within a game part Mm -hmm. uh, where they think they're out of the game. um, But then Scorpius has gotten loose on Moya and he realizes that the Aaron there is not the actual Aaron. I think that really is the turning point for when he decides that, that he has to hide everything about it. And maybe he just doesn't trust himself. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a mix of, of both of like him not trusting himself when he's with her because he has never been with her in a public way the way that Tal and John has mm-hmm. he this would be almost entirely new to him because we talked about maybe they were having sex season one you know but that seemed very different yeah and that know? was very casual and she was in complete denial of her feelings about it other than recreation too yeah narratively i understand why they did it i think that i even understand why john would think he would have to do it mm-hmm. but i also think john that was not a good decision <laughs> you know but john doesn't always make the best decisions or come up with the best plans in fact yeah. that's a canon character trait of john <laughs> is that he does not come up with the best plans that pan out the way they want them to <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much the episode. We end yeah. finally on John and Aaron working out their issues. Yay! Yay! No, it is good to see them on the same page at the end. Yeah. So what would you give this episode? This one's a four for me. I love this one. I think it's like might even be a 4.5. Mm-hmm. I think it's a... I think that the the character stuff really carries it through. And this is this is what I was saying about Farscape's strengths are really emotional conversations held together in between action sequences, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I'll go with you on a four. I liked it a lot too. Yeah, I just really like what we get to see about Scorpius and what we get to see about John and Aaron. And I think like Chiana getting to be in the spotlight a little bit because that doesn't happen as often as I'd like. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next week we have metal as any- anything. Mental or metal as anything? Mental. Oh, mental. mental. As any- yes, mental as anything. So that's next week. Uh, we are Farscape Friday podcasts on Tumblr and Dreamwith and gmail.com. So if you want to contact us there, you can. We are also at Farscape Friday on Twitter. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.